Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to be going through the Scriptures today. But as I was thinking about listening to the news and trying to keep track of the storm, how many of you were at least a little bit concerned with the storm? Uh, You should have been. Amen. Uh, Someone who is not concerned with something important has more problems than the person who gets too nervous. Amen. But uh, there should have been some concern. I mean, there, uh, there were several people that have lost their lives and much, much property damage. I think in the greater New York City tri-state area, there's well over a million people without electricity. And uh, if you don't live in New York City, if you don't have electricity, guess what else you don't have? No water. Uh, our water is gravity-fed. How many people knew that? It's an amazing water system that we have, and um, we just, some, uh, my kids were saying, Dad, why are they saying fill the tubs? I mean, there's going to be so much water, the rain, and well, you can't drink that water, amen? And uh, you really don't want to go out in it to get a bucket to uh, bring it inside and do necessary things, and, uh, but we praise the Lord, and oftentimes... What prompted the sermon this morning was oftentimes when something like this blows over, we say, oh, God is good. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Because when you say God is good for not letting the storm affect us, are we in essence saying God was not so good in those places where bad things happen? Wait a minute. Isn't? Isn't that really what those words mean? Let me ask you a question. Is there any time where God is not good? You know the answer to that. God is always good. God cannot be anything but good. God is good because He is God. Amen? I mean, we can still say amen on... Even though there's fewer of us, but... And that little childish prayer, how many of you were taught, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. How many of you prayed that as a little child? Uh, I, I think most everybody here probably did it one time or another if you were raised in a home that believed anything about the Bible. And uh, that phrase kept going over my head, and you say, wow, we're praising the Lord that uh, the news media was wrong, and there's not blood in the streets today, and buildings haven't collapsed, and all of the things that uh, they talked about. And uh, it was, but I I will say this, Uh, the wind was howling, and about four o'clock this morning, uh, I, I got up and I did my check around the building. We have certain places where the water comes in and where things, if it's going to happen, that's where it's going to happen. And I remember going down and nothing here, nothing here. And I went back and I sh- was sure there was going to be a pool of water in the basement in this corner because it always leaks there for some reason. It was bone dry. And I'm sitting here. Oh, Lord, you're so good. It didn't, and it hit me. Why was I shocked that God answered prayer 
And was I more pleased that I didn't have work to do in cleaning up the mess than I was in the fact that God actually answered prayer? And it just hit me how shallow sometimes our relationship with God is. And I thought about the greatness of the power of God. In Genesis chapter 1, people often have said, well, I thought only the New Testament applied. No, if you don't have Genesis chapter 1, you miss, you're missing an awful lot of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, I just want to stop for a moment. And go back to our little phrase, God is great, God is good. 1,142 times in your King James Bible, the word great or a form of it is used. Now, not every time is talking directly about God, but I would say the vast majority of those times are referring to God himself or to something that God has done. 812 more times the word good or goodness or some form of that word is used. And again, the vast majority of those times are used in reference to something about God or something that he has done. Many times the land of Israel is called the good land. And as we look through here in creation... Could we not just see the greatness of God? This storm that is now moving on farther north, they said was 290 miles across. That meant while it was hammering southern Jersey, the Chesapeake Bay area, the outward bands of that storm were touching New York City. All at the same time. One storm. And this by no means was what we would call a huge storm other than its size. Because even at its worst, it was only a category two and that didn't last very long. Hurricane Katrina was a category three. And when you start talking about those uh, monsoons or cyclones that happen in the Pacific Ocean, down around the Philippines and in those islands, uh, what we have seen and heard of it, nothing compared to some of those storms. I mean, some of those storms will have 175 mile an hour winds. Now, do you want to know what that would do? I'll tell you, if it hit New York City doing that, uh, somebody just have to call the street sweepers in and clean up the mess, there wouldn't be anything left. And yet, how many of you felt the rumble of the earthquake? And that was a teeny tiny earthquake. 
And yet those are things that just happen on earth. How many of you know what a solar storm is? Anybody familiar with that? That's a storm in the surface of the sun. Which is only 93 million miles away. And it disrupts communication on earth. 93 million miles away when we have a solar storm. Aren't you glad we don't have any of those on earth? And I just want you to think about some of the things. I, I, I should have dug this up, but, but I didn't. How many of you have ever seen that slideshow that they make where they show the earth compared to our sun? And then they take our sun and compare it to the largest star in the Milky Way galaxy. And then they take that. And by the time they're done and comparing our sun to the different size stars in the slide, you can't even see our sun because in order to show it in, in, in um, scale... It disappears, it's less than one pixel on a picture compared to some of these other stars that are in our galaxy. Could I just tell you that in order to create something, the creator must be greater than the creation. Would you agree with that? I mean, the Creator must... And I know, man has made these great big machineries you know, that does all these incredible things. But where would that machinery be if it weren't for a man to run it and to maintain it? It doesn't take care of itself. And by the way, uh, we have made incredible improvements in artificial intelligence. I think that we have just surpassed a yellow jacket. That is the greatest that man can do. And yet, God created. He didn't burn his fingers when he started the sun. He didn't strain his back as he lifted one of those big stars into place. The Bible tells us that God spoke and those things became. Now, part of what we do as worship is we are trying to contemplate and begin to understand the greatness of God. That's part of what worship is. And by the way, how many of you have ever had to lift something that was very heavy for you to lift. Almost everybody has at one point or another. Now, what happens? As you take that weight into your hands, as your body begins to bear the weight of that unit, whatever it is, you go down under the weight of the unit. That is the essence of true worship. It is trying to grab a hold of the greatness of God. 
Now, what is going to happen to you? It's going to push you down just a little bit. A lot of it. And guess who needs to get out of worship for it to be real good worship? Me. I. Get rid of the I. Bend the I. Crush the I. Amen. And God will be lifted up. And what we want to start with is the greatness of God in creation. We look at the power of this one storm. And let me tell you, you should have rightly been concerned. But I am so glad that the storm happened the way it did. But let me challenge you with something. As we think about this, could we not have the same reaction that we would to the Word of God? Some people look at a storm like that and what do they do? They say, how could a God who loves us make a storm like that that would hurt people and kill people uh, if that storm is just a natural occurrence, has nothing to do with God, and God doesn't care? Anybody ever heard anybody talk like that? Most of us have. They're around. The cynics are always there. I look at a storm like that, and I think, what a God. They could create a world where things like that happen. How many of you knew there was a tornado warning? Not a watch. Or tornado warning for Astoria last night. It happened. It expired at 4.15 a.m. I was listening to the radio and they said, the tornado watch is now off. Wait a minute. Or warning. Uh, the watch is where they say there might be one. A warning is that there were tornadoes showing up on the radar. I look at the power of that storm and I think about the God that created it. And how great a God he is and how powerful he is. And as we, if we took the time this morning, which we won't, to read through this whole creation story here, not only do we see God's greatness in the things that he created and everything that he put together, but at the end of each of the six days of creation, God saw that it was what? Yes, there we go. God saw that it was good. And when it was all done, there were seven goods there in the story of creation. Because when God looked at everything, he said, everything I have made that was is good. And we look at creation. We look at the beauty of creation. All the incredible things that God has made. I think of things that man has done. But you know what? Nothing is more beautiful than the little flowers that just grow that God has made. And when you take something that God has made and examine it, the closer you examine it, 
the more incredible and intricate it becomes. You take a, a blade of grass that's growing in the crack of the sidewalk and pull it up. And I, I know the answers. I know that there's chlorophyll in the little chloroplast. And, but it still is amazing to me that black dirt and clear water make green grass. I mean, it just... And I love the color of green, amen? I just love that color of life. I love to look at it. But if you were to take that blade of grass and put it under a microscope, what do you see? You see an intricate vein system that channels the water and the nutrients in the dust that the wind blew to the crack of the sidewalk and it channels it up inside. And then you can get down to the cellular and watch all of those chemical reactions happen. And if you really want to, you could go to the atomic. And it would be like an entire universe inside each molecule. And now they tell us that the atomical, atomic particles are made up of subatomic particles that within each neutron, electron, and proton, there's another entire universe of intricacy that make it up. Tell you what, God is great and God is good. But I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in verse, verse 8, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 8. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? There have been hundreds and yea, thousands of different religions and different religious organizations and things in the sight uh, in, in mankind and in history. And yet, let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a law as good as God's law that's pertained in the Bible? No. Mankind has never been able to establish justice without the use of this book called the Bible. You talk about God. He is great. He is good. But God is holy. If there is one attribute about God, we think of many great people. We think of many good people. And yet every one of them has stories that aren't very good and aren't so great to tell about them, do they not? 
Because as human beings, we sin. As human beings, we do things for ourselves and to our own advantage. This is what human nature is. Only God, only God does everything for someone else's benefit. Only God is holy. How many of you have ever had somebody that expressed uh, deep care and concern for you? Only for you to find out a little bit later they had a hidden agenda involved. It's happened to most of us at one time or another, and that's a very hurtful thing. You see, when we talk about God's holiness, we're talking about His righteousness. We're talking about the fact that everything that God does is the best and most righteous thing to do. In fact, we're not going to... Um, take time to look at the whole passage, but if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, just talking about the greatness of God in, in His holiness, as God came down and gave them the commandments, the children of Israel went to Moses, and the story is related here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 22. It says, I'm sorry, Yes, uh, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 4. That's why it doesn't look right. There we go. Verse 22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire of cloud and thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass, verse 23, when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire, and we have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. And so it goes on and they say, Moses, we want you to go hear from God and come back and tell us because we're scared to listen to God talk. That's how great God is. Somebody, I've heard many people say, I just wish I could hear God speak from heaven. Well, the children of Israel as a nation, somewhere between two and three million people heard God speak from heaven. And what did it do? They were so afraid. They said, Moses, you go here for us and come back and tell us what he said. If we were to read on in in other chapters, we would find that God established his law, not for his good, but for our good. Is that not the essence of true holiness? of the ultimate righteousness of God. You see, when we do good things, we often do them because of the benefit that is attached. Why do people exercise? Because there's a benefit attached to that. It's a good thing, right? Why do people eat healthy? 
it's good. It will have benefits. But when God does something good, it's not for his benefit, it's for yours. That's a level of holiness that we as human beings can never attain to. And what do we do when we set a standard, when we set a goal, and you can't match up to it? Well, we just change the test, amen? We lower the standards. That is the history of what has gone on in education here in the United States in the last 25 years is just simply a lowering of the standards a little bit here and a little bit there to the point to where you can graduate high school and go to college and have to take high school classes for your first year and a half or so just so you can get caught up to start college-level work. In fact, in the days gone by, to have a four-year degree really meant something. Today, a four-year degree means very, very little. It's because the standards have fallen. They've been lowered. I want to challenge you today, God has never lowered his standard of holiness. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is what? Guilty of all. How many sins does it take to transgress God's holiness? One. That's it. And you know what? God has not, nor will he ever change his standard of holiness. That's why you can't get to heaven by trying to keep the law. We've often given this. Uh, actually, Deuteronomy 6.24. I want you to look at this verse. This is the one I was talking about. 6.24. It says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Now, how many of you remember what the book of Deuteronomy was about? This was the final review for the children of Israel. They had left Egypt. They had come through the Red Sea. They had rejected and disobeyed God when he said to go into the land of Canaan. And God said, listen, I'm going to give you one year for a day. Forty years you're going to wander in the wilderness until that entire generation, every man that was over the age of 21, when you went into the land of Canaan, when you refused to obey God, had died. The book of Deuteronomy was the last thing that Moses did before he died. He said, you've given us this law for our good always to preserve us alive because the entire generation that preceded them 
the ones that left Egypt, the ones that were making the decisions to follow Moses and follow God through the Red Sea, were all dead, every one of them. The only person alive of that generation, (coughs) other than Joshua and her, um, yeah, uh, was Joshua and Caleb, the son of her, was Moses, and Moses was about to die. God said, I've given you these laws, therefore you're good. Acts chapter 10, as Peter was describing the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me just read you the verse very quickly here. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Is that not an incredible definition of the ministry of Jesus Christ? He went about doing good. We see God is great in creation. He's good in creation. Amen. Even all these years and all things that sin has done to mar and harm nature and all of that, we still have a beautiful world in which we live. God is great in His holiness. Never once has He compromised it. God is good. He has established His holiness, not for His benefit, but for ours. Amen? But I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, God is great in His love. See, what mankind wants to do is make a way for us to get around the standard of God's holiness. God has made a way for us to obtain the standard of His holiness. It's God's love is the answer. Let's start with verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read through verse 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great, what? His great love, wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ... By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye seen through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God is great in his love. And his love is extended toward us. In the greatness of his love, He made salvation to be something that was all about God and not about you. You go into most religious organizations and it is all about you. 
It's what you have to do. It's how you have to dress. It's how you have to walk. It's how you have to talk. It's how long you have to grow your beard. It's how uh, all these different crazy little regulations that man has got. When we look in the Bible, it says the great love wherewith He loved us We go down to verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast that we are His workmanship, that God is the one that has done everything for our salvation. It's the only way God could not compromise His holiness and yet express His love at the same time. It is the only way that God could show us the greatness and the depth of His person. But just as the events of the storm, one person will look at them and talk about the tragedy and blame God for that, and another person will look at that same set of events and say, what a powerful God there is, and I can trust Him in spite of the tragedy and loss in my life. And I can thank Him for the lack of it. But God is not good because He preserves me, nor is He bad if I suffer loss because of the storm. God is great all the time. And God is good all the time. Sometimes He calls us to walk through that veil of suffering. Is that too much for a God who has given all for our salvation to ask? Not at all. You see, God wants to take your life and use it to praise Him for the ages to come because it's by grace you are saved through faith. Grace is God's mercy and goodness extended to you. And holiness, by the way. Faith is when we grab a hold of that with our little hands. Now, is there any way you can hold on to God as tightly as He can hold on to you? Amen? Do you see the picture here? God wants us to reach out with our little hands and grab a hold of Him. But who's holding who? It's not you, my friend. It's God. Read Philippians chapter 3. If you want me to, I will, but we'll be here another half an hour. I don't think you want to do that. But the simple truth is, God in the greatness of His love has done everything that my sin could be atoned for. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he rose again from the dead. And if I'll believe on him, if I'll just grab a hold with my feeble little hands, he'll get a hold of me. Somebody was asking the Coast Guard, uh, what do you do when you save someone who's uh, in the water? Do you go in the water to get them? And and, uh the, the guy broke in who was in charge of that unit and says, no, we pull them into the boat. Uh, 
Let me tell you, that's what God does. He doesn't have to slurp around in the dangerous waters. He reaches out a hand and pulls us to safety. Amen? But there's something else about God's love that is so exceeding good. I hope you'll get this point. And this is what the whole message is about. God is great because my salvation is all of God and none of me. I reach out with my feeble hands and He grabs a hold. And that's what salvation is. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And this is a verse that's oft quoted out of context, of course. But man loves this verse, parts of it. 1 John chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and goeth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now see, we love that last little phrase. You see it everywhere, smiley little face. God is love. And if we could only just love everybody, everything would be fine. Let me ask you a question. Can you love everybody? I can't love everybody. And I know full well, I'll be honest, not everybody can love me. I mean, I am a very lovable person, I think. No, the only way that I can truly love another human being is I got to love God first. You see, when this world talks about what we need is everybody just to love everybody, there's always going to be those who are taking advantage of the others. Isn't that true? In fact, if you listen to the songs and the testimony of the world, you'll find out that worldly love is being taken advantage of by someone else because that's all they have to offer. We go back to God's standard of holiness. God does not do what He does for His benefit. It's for ours. If someone could only love you that way, your life would be completely different, would it not? And you see, I do not love other people because I'm such a strong person that I can handle it. No, I love other people because God's love is in me. That's how it works. People come and they... First question, what kind of church is this? It says Baptist on the front, but I see the stars of David all over the place. Well, that's real easy. The building was built as a synagogue. Why don't you change those things? Standard answer, you give me the money, we'll change them. Uh, Until then, we'll just leave them alone. Amen? Listen, people try to figure out. What kind of cult is Open Door Bible Baptist Church? We're not a cult. We're a simple, old-fashioned, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church. See, but it's not as exciting here as it is in some places. 
Listen. If you can find something more exciting than having the love of the creator of the universe living in your soul and allowing you to love others, tell me about it. But I don't know anything more exciting than that. I don't know anything more incredible or more wonderful than that truth. The fact that I can love others and not expect anything in return because God loves me. You want a happy marriage? Let me tell you, that's the foundation stone for it. You want to enjoy being around other people? Stop expecting things from them and you'll enjoy being around other people. When you love somebody expecting something from them, you will always be disappointed, my friend. No one can meet up to your imagination. That's why you got to conquer it and bring it to subjection to Jesus Christ, to God's holiness. You've got to capture and cage that thing. Here's what Romans said in chapter 2 and verse 4, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. How many of you remember that process of finally struggling with yourself and your sin and getting to the point to where you were so sick of everything that you just came to God and asked Him to save you? How many of you remember that? Sometimes that only takes a few hours. Sometimes it takes years for people to work through all the things in their soul and get to that final point to where they turn around and say, by faith I accept what you have done, God. I reach out my feeble hand knowing it's worthless, trusting you to grab a hold of me and save me forever. I don't know about your life, but that wasn't a very pleasant experience in my life. It wasn't a lot of fun looking at myself in the mirror and finally realizing that if I died today, I would not go to heaven. And yet, what does the Bible say? It's the riches of his goodness. The riches of his forbearance and long-suffering. It's the goodness of God that leadeth you to repentance so that you can get saved. See, you must understand That God is. That He is the Creator. That He is greater than anything. And the sum total of everything else in the universe is not comparable to the greatness of God. But He is just as great as He is in His being and His power. He is that great in His goodness to mankind. And to the universe in in a whole. God takes care. I don't understand, but I I love a God. He even cares about pigeons. He puts in their hearts, somebody's heart, to go out and feed those pigeons. I'd like to feed them, but it wouldn't be anything that'd be healthy. But you know what? God cares about those pigeons. 
And He cares about me. And He cares about you. But God will not allow His holiness to be violated. And so in His love, He devised salvation's plan. And if you will allow God's love into your heart, His love will make you love others. And now we've solved all the world's problems, have we not? The only issue is you can't have God's love until you repent of yourself and your sin and accept God and His plan. That's what being saved is. And if we will surrender to God's greatness, if we will accept His holiness, His love will transform us and allow us to truly care about others. And all of God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, let us recognize you as the great God of all creation. The God that is always good and what happens is not dependent upon your goodness. Meaning that we have no right to judge what you do. For you are always good, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are even here today struggling with the issue of salvation in their soul. That at least today would be a starting point or another step closer to the Savior. Lord, we're not looking for professions. What we're looking for is people who will accept God's grace by faith and be saved by the power of God. That we may spend eternity together in heaven praising the God who loved us with an exceeding great love. Lord, we ask that you would do your work during this time of invitation that you may be honored and glorified in our lives. We ask that you would encourage us to live for you in spite of circumstance and to worship you for your greatness and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.